Welcome to Wealth Science. I'm your host, Jesse Fuchsia, Army Ranger, real estate investor, and income enthusiast. On this show, we uncover the keys to attaining financial freedom. There are so many people listening right now who are stuck in that day-to-day, nine-to-five rat race. Luckily, it's only temporary. Each week, we bring on guests that help us discover the steps to build financial freedom, passive income, and generational wealth, so we can live the life we were born to live. Money is freedom. Let's get to the show. Welcome back to another episode of Wealth Science. I'm your host, Jesse Fuchsia, and today's guest is Adam Duran. Adam is a former police officer turned wealth advisor in Kansas City. He specializes in creative strategies for real estate investors and business owners to build tax-free wealth while they grow their business. In addition to his work as a wealth advisor, Adam has been investing in real estate since 2011. He started with wholesaling and single-family rentals, then transitioned in 2019 to commercial properties, and now owns 52 units with his partners in Kansas City. Wealth Science, I bring you Adam Doran. Welcome to the show, Adam. What's going on? Hey, Jesse. Good to see you, man. Thank you for the invite. Um, it's, it's going good getting ready for Christmas here at my place. We're coming down the pipe, Adam, and I've yep. got to ask you, is all the Christmas shopping done? It is. <laughs> it's all done. The cards are out. So we're on track as far as that's concerned. And I'm ready to take a little bit of break. <laughs> that's awesome. We're, we're about 72 or you know, probably three or four days out here. I've still got a couple more things I got to finish up, but I'm, I'm glad you set the right conditions. You're better at planning than I am. And you are Christmas <laughs> shopping complete here, which is great because I was at the mall today and it was like a madhouse. So you're, you're avoiding all yeah. that. And, yeah. uh, and that's awesome. But yeah, Adam, I'm pumped to have you here, man. Again, you're, you're such an authentic, kind-hearted person whose career has spanned 16 years in the police force. And now what you've done now as a real estate investor and wealth advisor, I, I find super intriguing. And I'm such a big believer in the concept of, of law of attraction and that like attracts like, and that you and I are here for a reason tonight to educate this audience and, and help them through this process. So again, I just wanted to say thank you for taking the time, especially a few days before a huge holiday to record this episode with me. Absolutely. I'm honored to be here and thank you for the invitation to be on. Absolutely. And, and for the people who may not know you, Adam, or may not have heard of you, I mean, could you take a couple of minutes and just introduce yourself to the audience? Yeah. Um, well, I'm located in, in Kansas City. And actually, if you're watching this in video format, you see the Kansas City skyline behind me um, and, and I've been here since 2005, but uh, grew up in central Iowa. Growing up, I knew I wanted to be a police officer. So I got into that right out of, well, as soon as I was 21 years old. So I hadn't even finished college, got into police work. Did that for 16 years. About 10 years into that career, I was tired of being broke all the time and living check to check. And I started educating myself on how real wealth works. And what was interesting is a lot of things that I learned, um, it wasn't stuff that I'd heard of before. And even in my conversations with financial advisors and wealth advisors, people that are supposed to know this space, it was interesting what came up and what didn't come up. Uh, one of the primary tools. Uh, that I learned about wealth creation had to do with real estate investing. And that was absent from the conversations I had with financial advisors. Another thing that came up in my own studies and learning how you build wealth is, you know, establishing a business and qualifying yourself for tax breaks that you don't get when you just have a W-2. And those things have not come up in conversations that I'd had with financial professionals, which I, I thought was interesting. 
And it's part of the reason why I'm doing what I do today is because I think there needs to be more advisors out there that are that are sharing these strategies and uh, you know creative things that we're not learning in school and are not mainstream. Yeah, that's awesome. And I, I just love, again, what I said in the beginning, how your career is kind of just crisscrossed. And I think so many people can relate to that. And even where I'm at in the military right now, you know, I'm, I'm intrigued by the concept of making your money, you know, work for you and not, I don't know the statistic out there, but I know it's a staggering statistic, the amount of Americans that live paycheck to paycheck, like you were yeah. when you were working in the KCPD. I mean, looking back to your time, and I know, you know, you enjoyed being a police officer, you know, where was that initial idea of financial freedom born? Or, or where was that? Like, was there an aha moment? Or was there like, did something happen one night where you're like, man, I've got to start making my money work for me? There was a moment. And um, it, it was actually a moment, uh, a little bit of a flash of anger and frustration. Um, I was working a 14 hour shift, which my normal shift was 10 hours. And I, I worked a shift that lasted till four in the morning. Well, in this particular case, I ended up working 14 hours till eight in the morning. So throughout the entire night, I saw the sun set, I saw the sun rise. And at that time, I was just thinking about how, and it was a Sunday morning, I remember. I was thinking about how nice it would be to be home with my family on Sunday morning. And instead, I was driving this police car through one of the nicer, ritzier neighborhoods in town. And I actually drove past the city manager's house at that time. And he was putting a golf ball on an artificial putting green that he'd had installed in his backyard. And I just got mad. I thought about it and I thought, you know, I work way harder than that guy and put more hours in than that guy. And he probably makes three times the money I do. Why is that? And so almost like, not almost like, I mean, I really think it was divine intervention. This ad came on the radio for a seminar that would be happening in Kansas City a few weeks later you know, and the seminar was like, you know, only $99 or something like that. And I thought to myself, I can't even afford the $99. And whoever wrote the marketing copy for this radio ad was great because they totally understood the thought process that the right person would be going through. Because right after that, they followed up with, but if you bring three of your friends, you can each get in for a dollar. And I'm like, <laughs> well, I can do that. So I signed up me, my wife, my best buddy and his wife. And I said, Hey, We've all gonna, we're all going to take our dollar and we're all going to go downtown and watch this seminar. And uh, that's where I got started. <laughs> that is a crazy story. And it's so like, it's, it's so like, like you said, divine intervention. I mean, it's, and I've interviewed so many people who like, whatever, after a tough night of work, they're driving by and whatever, a Lamborghini. I've interviewed someone who said a Lamborghini pulled right out in front of him. And he's like, dude, why don't I drive that car? You know what I mean? It's like, I just love hearing stories like that. It's, it's so incredible. So you're at this conference, which I'm sure played a huge part in kind of that initial gap, but what else were you doing in those beginning years in that kind of 2011 or early 20 teens time period, Adam, to bridge that first initial knowledge gap when it came to, again, the wealth piece and the real estate and stuff like that? Yeah. Well, I came away from that first seminar with, with a couple of big takeaways. One was that I needed to learn about owning a business investing in real estate and understanding finance and the financial markets. And then I went to some follow-up seminars. Of course, you know, they usually have a pitch for follow-ups and you can get, go down specific lanes of what you want to learn about. So I signed up for the real estate one and the, and the trading and financial markets one, and then started picking up on advice that was consistent across the seminars of you need to find mentors, you know, people that have gone where you've gone, done what you want to do. And so I networked heavily and I found myself a, a business mentor and a couple of real estate mentors. And, and those people were probably the most 
if I could pick, you know, one thing, one factor that that had the greatest influence and made the greatest difference for me, it was that networking and finding those mentors. Um, and, and that was really where I got the encouragement and the affirmation to, you know, dive in on business ownership and real estate investment. Yeah, that, that's incredible. And I would, I would tell anybody, I mean, I completely agree with what you're saying. I, I set the goal in 2021. I said, I'm going to talk to five new people a day. And that's like some just crazy, outrageous goal. But the relationships that I've built this year have been incredible. I mean, I have a long list of guests for this podcast. I mean, when I go on LinkedIn, everyone's commenting and stuff because I've been talking and engaging with these people. So I would absolutely 100% agree. I think you hit the nail on the head with this one. You know, networking is such an important part. And I really think it's, you know, one of the major basis of all success, really. It's it's really who you know and, and your network is your net worth. And I, I love saying that. I know it's cliche, but I think it's important. And then your piece on mentoring too, I think is important. You know, I have read a quote by Charlie Munger, Warren Buffett's business partner, who's like, you know, success leaves clues find someone else that's crushed it in what you're trying to do and then just do exactly what they're doing. It's not, it's not rocket science. So I, I, I love both that, the conferencing, the mentors, it's all a super important piece. Um, I, I had a question because I'm going to be facing, you know, a similar opportunity to you here in the next probably 12, 24 months, you know, when it comes to specifically leaving your W2, Adam, you know, what big fears are associated with that and what right conditions do you recommend be set before someone does that? Well, everyone's situation, of course, looks different. Some people's situation is more dire than others. You know, if you get laid off, and you don't really have the option, that's that's one route. For me, it was that I became increasingly more and more miserable and, uh, and miserable at work because I just didn't like the direction the department I was working at was going, plus the fact that once you kind of cross the bridge or once you start learning the new information, you can't really go back and you learn about the freedom that other people enjoy because they run a business and they work for themselves and that kind of thing. Um, you know, for me, it was, it was, it was a progressive path and I kind of saw the light at the end of the tunnel of, okay, this is where this is headed for me. Um, but, but to go back specifically to answering your question, as far as how do you map that out or, or what are the conditions you need to set for yourself? I'll tell you what I did. Cause that's, that's the only thing that, that I know and that worked for me. And a big piece of my picture was that I, I had a very supportive wife who was very supportive of this idea of let's help you get out of the job you, you don't love and let's help you, you know, plug into a, a bigger purpose, a higher purpose and into a business where you can, can build and grow your income. So we basically mapped out a plan and said, okay, if, if I earn nothing, my first six months in business, my first year in business, what are we, what adjustments will we have to make so that we can still pay the mortgage, still pay the bills and be okay. And we kind of mapped that out. And we did this over a period of several months. We didn't just figure it out in one evening and a lot of discussions, a lot of brainstorming, a lot of discussing what can we live without uh, just in case. And so that was the path that we took. So it was several months of preparation and of course, building up some savings, um, and, and that, that's kind of how I did it. And so I, we scheduled when I would take the leap. And I took that leap in, in January of 2018. And I thankfully didn't go you know six entire months without a paycheck. But I will tell you my first year in business, I only made about $11,000. Wow. 
which was, you know, less than a fifth of what I've been making at my police job. So we definitely did see a financial setback in that first year. Um, but as far as for anyone out, out there who's listening, you know, the biggest thing to understand, it is a huge adjustment to go from, you know, what you consider steady, reliable income to, if you start a business, there's no guarantees. Although I think this idea with a job being steady and reliable, I mean, I, I would say it's risky as well to be working from some, for somebody else, hoping that they're going to keep the lights on and they're going to keep your paycheck coming. So, I mean, <laughs> there's risk either way. And both routes are hard, you know, going to a job you don't like, that's a steady paycheck or going to a business that you want to build, but there's no guarantees and, and you might have to sacrifice a lot for a few years. And actually, I would say not might, but you will have to sacrifice a lot for a few years because I don't think anybody's built a successful business overnight. I think, you know, it, it plan on a, a three to five year building period of it being hard, real hard. Um, but that being said, and it's kind of funny because I'm, I'm right at that threshold right now where I just wrapped up my fourth year and I'm year five in the business. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's about the time frame: three to five years of building, sacrificing, really, you know, pushing everything to the center of the table. Um, but it, it does pay back in dividends because now we're starting to see that, you know, in our financial world. Yeah, that's awesome. And I know that's not, I, I don't think that's a question, at least in the podcast I've heard you on that you get asked a lot, but I'm really just so intrigued by the, just the psychology and the steps that go into leaving your W-2, because I think that is a goal, you know, for a lot of people. And I, I read this quote once and it's on the wall in my office and it's like, you're either working to achieve your dreams or you're working to build someone else's or something That's like right. that. Yeah. And it's like, and it's powerful. And, it, and listen, leaving your W2, I don't think is right for everyone, which is, you know, what's awesome works for everybody or, or works for no one. But, you know, I think it's that goal. It's that idea of freedom of like, like you said in the beginning there, like, what if I did leave? you know, how much more time would I have with my family? How much more, you know, time would I get to go on vacation and stuff like that if I could set my own schedule? But I completely agree with you. And it's, it's crazy. I didn't know that uh, $11,000 in your first year, but because you set those right conditions and you brought your spouse on board and brought your family on board and set the right conditions, I think is what, you know, made you successful. And obviously you didn't fall flat on your face, which is crazy. But I, I, I just love asking that and in, in the psychology behind leaving your W-2 which I think is, you know, incredible. But um, I wanted to steer this back towards kind of more of the real estate tax financial world. You know, in your career, Adam, when you started in 2011 to where we are here at the end of 2021, how have you seen kind of the financial world develop and evolve? And what do you think is kind of broken, I guess, about financial planning? Or what do you think people kind of miss? Yeah. Um, well, I'm going to start with that second half of the question of what do I see that's broken? Cause that's what inspired me <clears throat> to get into this and do what I do and have the specialty that I have. I, I think traditional financial planning is broken because it takes control away from the client and gives it to the advisor and elevates the advisor to the status of like, they're the expert in the room. They know what's best. And, you know, you just think about what the, it's like a three meeting sequence that most financial advisors go through with a prospective client. You have coffee, you get to know each other, the next meeting, they're collecting your information and assembling it all together. And then the third meeting, they're giving you a presentation, which essentially amounts to a sales presentation of, you know, bring your assets under our management and, and here, you know, we're going to get you one to 2% better than whoever the next person down the line is, that kind of thing. Uh, I think that's broken because a lot of people today recognize that the stock market isn't the only place to build wealth. And furthermore, 
it makes sense to be involved at some level in alternative assets. Alternative assets, and this goes to the first part of your question, how has the financial world evolved in the last 10 years and even back further? Alternative assets are making up more and more of people's portfolios. And even though they still make up a minority percentage of one's overall investments, they actually they, they punch above their weight. So they, they are um, responsible for more than their proportional percentage of the portfolio in returns. Uh, in other words, you know, you, you, you may have 20% of your portfolio in real estate, whereas it's accounting for 30% of the return. So alternative assets are, and I, I see things continuing to move that way, where people want to be more involved in alternative assets. Then you've got crypto, which is a whole thing unto itself. That's its own show. You probably know somebody that's a specialist in that. So I'll reserve that for whoever wants to take that one on. But, but bottom line, um, alternative assets are here to stay. Traditional planning doesn't usually incorporate those and traditional planning usually takes control away where you're not having access to your money. You're not having liquidity. You're not able to take, if you want to take a large lump sum and go do a real estate deal because your advisor has captured all these assets under management. So that's one big thing I see. If you'll let me keep going on that, there's a couple others I wanted to point out too, because I think they're important. There's a tax problem that nobody is talking about as it relates to traditional planning. And the tax problem is by default at your employer, you're encouraged to sock money into like a 401k or some sort of tax deferred plan. And if you go to most CPAs and most advisors, they also are encouraging that people put their money in these tax deferred plans. And it's exactly what it sounds like, tax deferred. You're deferring the tax to a later point in time. The thing is, is when you look at tax rates in America historically, where they have been and where they are now, our top tax rate right now is in the high 30s. Historically speaking, that's low, believe it or not, because in 1944 and 1945, the highest income tax rate in America was 94%. That's how we helped finance World War II. And throughout a lot of you know, uh, 60s and 70s, we were at 70% plus top tax rates. So we're less than half that right now. And so historically speaking, tax rates are low. Then you look at the amount of spending our government's been doing. And this isn't a political statement, it's fact. We've been spending a lot of money. And so one of the easiest levers that we can pull as a country to you know, bring more cash in and increase revenues is to raise tax rates. So all that to say this, I firmly believe tax rates will be higher in the future as opposed to lower. And if that's the case, we're in a tax trap if we're shoveling money into these accounts and growing the account balance and then going to have to pay taxes on it at some, some date in the future. And we don't know what the tax rate will be other than if you believe it's going to be higher. Well, you know, that can really drastically affect the outcome of your plan. You know, maybe you're planning to have a certain dollar amount accumulated and you're planning to withdraw a certain amount of income. Well, if tax rates increase by 10%, 20% or more, what does that do to your plan for future income? You're just not in a position of control. So it goes back to what I said about control. And then furthermore, and then I'll stop here because I'm, I'm sure you maybe got some follow-ups, but furthermore, the traditional vehicles that we're encouraged to use take away liquidity because if you're putting money into these traditional retirement accounts or you're putting it under the management of you know, some other financial professional, oftentimes you're in a position where you would be penalized to reach into that bucket and grab money out of it. For example, 401ks, IRAs, you're not supposed to touch the money until you're 59 and a half. And if you do before then, then they penalize you. 
And if it's a tax deferred account, not only do they penalize you, you pay taxes on top of it. So as a real estate investor, you know, it's crazy. I, I've met with doctors before, doctors, you know, people that make really good money and they'd love to participate in real estate deals, but unfortunately all their wealth is trapped inside an account they can't get into until they're 59 and a half. And they'd love to be able to not only participate in the deal, but collect income right now from that deal. Well, you can't do that in a tax deferred account. You know, if you want to, if you want to have the income and enjoy the equity right now, you've got to have it somewhere else where you can get to it. So those are some of the problems that I see uh, that traditional advising uh, is going to create. Whereas what I specialize in is helping to solve some of those problems, particularly for real estate investors and business owners that, that want to have access to capital and, and want to build tax-free wealth. Yeah, I think, man, there's, there, there's a lot there, Adam. I mean, that was a lot. That, yeah. that, was, that, was, that was incredible. <laughs> Let me just say that was amazing first. But secondly, um, I loved your concept on more control. And I, like, I'm thinking in my head, like, what's driving that? And I think just in the last decade, like, when I think of podcasting is blown up, there's just so many more resources and assets out there that I think for people to get educated on. And they're like, hey, I can now take control of this. It's not, you know, I don't have to hand it to somebody that has an MBA. I can kind of do this on my own by whatever, just listening to these podcasts, reading these books, learning and taking advantage of these higher than average returns and, you know, things like real estate syndications and stuff like that. So I think that's super powerful. And then your piece on the taxes too. Um, I, I kind of want to deep dive the taxes just a little more, if you don't mind. I mean, wh what's your recommendation, Adam, for people out there, you know, trying to leverage real estate to get more tax deferment or, you know, basically pay less taxes through real estate. I mean, could you just break that down a little bit for the audience and for people out there who might not know? Yeah. And, and to be totally above board here, I'm not allowed to give recommendations. Okay. That's just a, a result of my, my position, but I can maybe speak to why real estate can be advantageous. And real estate is a very unique asset in that you can purchase it at below its true worth. You can actually negotiate that purchase price. And let's say, you know, and I, I know these aren't large numbers, but round numbers to keep it easy, you know, from, from an analogy standpoint, let's say you want to purchase a property that you know is worth $100,000 and you're able to negotiate to buy that property for 70. Well, right there, you just walked into $30,000 of value that you didn't have to pay for. Furthermore, that asset then produces income for you on a regular basis, monthly income, while you own it and hold it and while you wait for it to appreciate. Now, I guess you could argue stocks pay, you know, some sort of a dividend, but I mean, if you look at most stocks, you're in the neighborhood of, of 1%, maybe 2%, whereas real estate might be paying you cash flow that equates to, you know, 10%. Um, furthermore, you might own that $100,000 asset and you only had to pay $70,000 and you're getting income from it every month. And because of whatever improvements you've made, or if you've taken a cost segregation on the property, you may actually be able to have such a large deduction in your early years of ownership that the income you're receiving is tax-free. So you've got this asset that you've purchased below its true value. It pays you every month you're able to take deductions and you can actually depreciate the asset on paper with the IRS while it appreciates in value. That's a very, very unique asset. And it's it tends to be advantageous for just about anybody that gets involved with it. So again, can't really make a recommendation, but those are some reasons that a lot of people are attracted to real estate, myself included. 
Yeah, if I could use that one sentence as like the poster board of just like you said it perfectly, you're buying a depreciable asset that's actually appreciating in value, which is just it, like you said, it's incredibly unique. How many assets out there can we say that do that? You know, not many. And it's it's incredible. And I try to explain that in the best way I can when I'm talking with people about all the tax benefits in real estate. You just hit the nail on the head with how you explained it right there. So I appreciate that. Um, I really want to kind of gear this towards your specialty. And I know we're like, we've been talking for like 25 minutes and we haven't even hit what, like Adam, what you're you know famous for, the infinity banking and, and whole life insurance and stuff like that. You know, if you could kind of just take this from the macro level Adam, and break it down to the micro level. I'm going to be honest and frank here. I don't know a whole lot about this topic. Um, you're the first person I've ever had on for this audience that's ever talked this piece. Can you talk the whole life insurance piece? And again, however long you want to take it, wherever you want to take it, you know, please talk it from kind of the macro level all the way down to the micro level. Why is it important to investors out there? Yeah. Well, and I will start with, I learned about this strategy myself Back in 2011, as I was sharing my story about where I went on this personal journey of learning how real wealth works, this was one of the first strategies that I stumbled across in my reading and listening to mentors and just you know digging out information for myself. Um, and at first, I was amazed because when I wrapped my head around it conceptually, I was like, why are more people not doing this? And why are more people not talking about this? And then you know, I even saw other financial quote gurus out there um, that that are like, don't use your money on whole life insurance. It's throwing your money down a rat hole. And I was like, why would you say that? Because what I was learning about it, I was like, this is such a unique, unique place to, to warehouse or to stash money and then have that money available to use. So that was my orientation to it. And I started doing it with my own money way back then when I learned about it. And um, actually, it's funny because I was in such a, I was not in the same financial place I am today. And so, you know, I started very small. I had a, a $500 car payment. I finished paying off my car and I just reallocated, took that $500 a month and started stuffing it into a policy with the intention that would become one of my capital accounts. So now going to, okay, how does this thing work and, and what's unique about whole life insurance and why, why would you use life insurance as a way to support what you're doing with real estate or anything else. I think it's really important first not to look at it through the lens of it being an investment. I do not consider it an investment. I look at what are the options for if you're if you're stockpiling cash, where can you put cash? And when you start looking at the options, if you want that cash to be liquid, the options are pretty limited. Um, you know, right off the top of my head and then most of the clients that I work for when we meet, it's usually one of two places. It's a, it's a bank account of some sort, checking or savings, or it's a brokerage account of some sort. And, and a brokerage account, because maybe they're trying to invest that money conservatively just to get some return on those dollars while they're sitting around waiting for an opportunity. And those are pretty much the two options that are available until you learn about this. So with whole life insurance, I want to remove the label life insurance for a second, because when we use that label, that's when people shut their ears off. Um, and you can call it whatever you want and assign whatever label you want. But I just want you to think about a place to store money that is not correlated to the market. So there's no market risk that is tax free. In other words, once I deposit the money in the account, the account's going to grow, but I'm not going to have to pay taxes on that growth. 
and I can access the money out of the account. And when I access it, I'm not going to have to pay taxes like I made some withdrawal for gains. And then consider the fact that because it's not market correlated and because it is a contractual instrument, the insurance company actually gives you contractual guarantees as to how much cash will accumulate and or how much of a death benefit exists at any given, at any given year in, in the life of this contract. And then this is probably the biggest piece is when you leverage the dollars out of it. So again, this is your cash account. You've got $100,000 in there. And let's say that account is going to increase this year per the schedule that the insurance company gives you. It's going to increase from $100,000 to $110,000. Okay. And you take $100,000 through a policy loan and put that into a real estate deal and now start earning a return in the real estate deal. Your account with the $100,000 cash that you just leveraged is still going to be credited that $10,000 this year, even though you took and used the 100 grand. In other words, you are earning money in two places at the same time, both in your real estate deal and within your capital account, which is your whole life policy. There is not another capital account I'm aware of that exists that does that, where you can literally earn money in two places simultaneously. And so that's at a high level conceptual, that's what this can do for you when you structure it right and you treat it as, a, as a, an overlay strategy to support the real estate investing you're already gonna do. That is amazing. I had no idea you were able to leverage it to earn money in two locations at once. I thought, I thought right there, you're going to be like, oh, you can't, like the $10,000 stops in your first account because you're making it in the real estate deal. I had absolutely no idea. That's incredible. I'm going to ask like a super novice question, but whole life insurance, Adam, what does it actually insure? And that might so be it, a dumb question. I apologize. If that yeah, happens, but. it really does ensure the life of the insured person. So okay, if okay. you're the insured person and something would happen to you, uh, your family or whoever you had named as the beneficiary is going to receive a death benefit tax-free because you passed away. Um, so it truly is, you know, at its very basis, a life insurance policy. But what we're doing is uh, taking advantage of the tax benefits that are allowed to life insurance. And we can actually, when we structure it properly, and I guess that's the other thing I should have hit on is that structure is everything in this. So real quick, let me just back up and say, you know, there's some critics of this strategy. And if you Google, you're going to find all sorts of conflicting information. You're going to find arguments pro and arguments con on this as a strategy. And primarily what you're going to see from the arguments against is that probably somebody had a bad experience where their policy was structured wrong and they dumped you know, an absurd amount of money into a policy for three years, four years, five years, and they didn't have access to any cash. That would be a scenario of you're throwing your money down a rat hole. So we wouldn't want to do that. We would want to build it in such a way that you actually are creating a cash account that not only grows, but multiplies and compounds to where, you know, long-term you're getting far more out of this than you ever put in. And that has everything to do with structure. And so, you know, that, that's what I'm a specialist in, the team that I work with at, at Prevail Strategies, where I work in Kansas City, that we are specialists in designing them in such a way that, that you're actually able to create a capital account. Um, but I, I think it's important just to recognize, you know, structures everything there. 
yeah, I, I literally want to just run outside my house right now and, and scream this from the rooftops. I, again, 20 minutes ago, I had no idea what this was, or, or like I said, I was being completely honest. I've never, uh, in the military, we have our SGLI. I do nothing with life insurance. It's a document that I sign like every six months, just renewing it and it's, it's whatever. But just the tax benefits, I think, the tax benefits in this alone is incredible. And I had absolutely no idea um, I, I want to be like, why doesn't more people know about how incredible, you know, this, like you said, wealth building, compounding um, asset is. It's, it's, it's incredible. And uh, not to be quaint, but I mean, death is the destination that we all share, Adam. And why not make your money work for you in a way that also supports that or supports the people that you love? So I, I, I just think that's amazing. Yeah, to, to what you just said there too, you know, from a wealth transfer standpoint, most of the investors that I talk with, uh, similar to me, have, have a pretty big why. And, you know, within that why is probably things about our own individual, you know, financial freedom, time freedom, things like that. But usually I find that most of us are building for the future, for the next generation, for a legacy, for a charity, a church, you know, whatever it is. Most of us usually have one of those pretty compelling emotional whys. And so when you think about it through that lens too, ultimately there's going to be a transfer of wealth one day from you to the next person in line or the next organization, whoever it is you've chosen. And again, going back to life insurance as, as, a, as a vehicle, it is the most direct, private, tax-efficient way that I can think of that you could transfer wealth from one party to another just by statutorily how it's put together and the, and how it's designed. It is meant for generational wealth transfer. And so again, if you're thinking towards a long-term why, it can be a very powerful asset, not only in the here and now for the reasons I just explained about you know growing wealth in two places at the same time, but long-term, uh, an extremely efficient way in a private way off the IRS radar screen to transfer wealth from one party to another. So there's that. And, and we haven't even touched on the, the retirement income piece of it either, which maybe we won't have time to get to, but it's important to know as well, this asset can distribute uh, very efficiently, distribute income very efficiently in retirement so that you have an additional stream of income in retirement. Because presumably you'll have a real estate portfolio, you're getting income off of that, Maybe you have a separate business that gives you revenues, but this is a bucket that you can go to again without having to report income on your taxes to the IRS and simply take policy loans that you never pay back and use those as retirement income. And, uh, and, and maybe I should, if somebody's ears just perked up and is like, well, how can you do that? How can you take policy loans and not pay them back? So your policy loans, whenever you take them, whenever you access the cash inside of the policy, are simply collateralized with the death benefit. In other words, if you've got $100,000 of cash value and a million dollar death benefit and you take a $100,000 policy loan, they're just leveraging against your death benefit and saying, okay, if he kicks the bucket and he hasn't put the money back, then we're just going to pay out $900,000. We're going to pocket the $100,000 that he used. So it, 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 it's just a very, very unique, unique asset, how it's structured and how it operates. And um, we can do some pretty powerful things with it from the standpoint of leveraging it to build other assets. Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, the tax benefits alone in this policy, I don't think people understand how powerful that is, Adam. And I, I wish more people knew about this. I mean, from a wealth advisor standpoint, when you're explaining this to people, are people ever like, Adam, there's no way this thing is real. 
are, are regularly. people ever, are people like in, sometimes yeah. in disbelief regularly and i was too when i learned about this and i think it's important to talk about this for a second too so first of all there's a very very small handful of companies in america that have uh the financial the financial bandwidth backing financial standing to be able to offer you know products like this and also um that that pay a participating dividend uh, into those policies and that also have a feature on their policy loans where you get credited to all your dividends and interest as though you're not using the money. When, when you narrow it down, I mean, we're talking, you know, five or fewer companies in America and, and they're all mutual companies. They've all been in business for more than 100 years, paying a dividend every single year through Great Depression, 9-11, 2008, coronavirus. Um, so the, the, the company is important. The advisor is important for the reasons I mentioned about structure. I think the other thing too, you said, why aren't more people talking about this? Well, you have to consider a lot of financial advisors are investment oriented, which there's nothing wrong with that, um, but that's a pretty narrow lens. Um, when, when you start talking holistic planning and making all the assets work together better, it's not just about how much did I earn in a return this year in my brokerage account or my other investments. It's about, okay, not only what are the returns, but what downside protections do we have in place? What liquidity do you have available to you to take advantage of opportunities? Um, what risks or blind spots have we covered? So, uh, you know, a loss of income or a loss of a partner. And then furthermore, long-term, how can we make all the assets work together in retirement uh, so that as you're taking required minimum distributions from retirement accounts, as you're taking partner distributions from real estate deals, and as you're figuring out how much to dip out of this bucket, doing it in a planned, strategic, organized fashion, um, that's holistic planning. And I, I think it's important too, I wanna say this, because if, if somebody has been listening today and, and they're excited about this, yeah, I'm excited about it too, but it's one strategy. And it's important that it, it acts as an overlay or as a supplement or a support to the other things you're doing. So it's not either or, it's not, should I have, a big whole life policy and take advantage of this and not do a 401k or should I have a big policy and and not do some other thing it's it's making it all work together better so I'll say one more thing about that um you mentioned the tax benefits alone are tremendous that's actually really really true uh we've modeled out scenarios for clients where you know just by adding a policy in as a tax-free asset later in retirement, if tax rates go up by 10%, 20%, they can weather that storm because they have this tax-free bucket. Um, another thing we've noticed is there's this thing called safe withdrawal rate, which in and of itself is a pretty debatable thing. But the, the common belief amongst financial professionals is you can generally have a portfolio and safely withdraw about 4% of that portfolio's value every year as income in retirement. Well, First of all, I'd argue, I think that might be a little bit generous, but if you believe that when we insert whole life as a tax-free asset to generate tax-free retirement income, we can actually increase that rate to seven, eight, 9% safe withdrawal rate, because this is a, a, an asset that has no market correlation and doesn't take those, you know, 20 and 30% swings. Yeah, this is a, uh... Like I said, I wish I'm, I might climb up up on the roof after this and just start screaming, <laughs> go get your whole life insurance. It's like, it's nine o'clock here. I might, they might have to call the, the police on me. But I, I guess I'll just call you again and tell them I know Adam Durant. <laughs> no, Adam, I appreciate it. And seriously, I wish more people knew about this. It's an incredible concept. I knew literally nothing 20 minutes ago. 
And now I would say I'm basic, basic level qualified in whole life insurance and how it works. So I appreciate it. <laughs> and I, I wish more people knew about it, but having guys like you on explain it, I think is super powerful. And I think a lot of people are going to take so many great things away from this episode and, you know, maybe relook the way that they're putting their money away and how they can start making their money, you know, work for them. So I appreciate that. I wanted to end on one last question and it's, it's not real estate related. I, I, you know, we talk so much wealth, we talk so much real estate stuff and I like to kind of just break it up at the end and, and kind of, you know, bring it back down to just the human being level of, of Adam and Jesse. And I know you served as a police officer for 16 years. And I think that profession is, you know, it's an incredible profession. It's an extremely challenging and difficult profession you know, for someone that wore the badge for 16 years, I was curious, what do you think is one of the most misunderstood things about police officers in today's society? Wow, really good question. Um, I, I, think, I think one of the most misunderstood things or the most misunderstood thing is uh, just like everybody that's listening right now, most police officers are, you know, they're, they're doing a job because it's the job they signed up for, but um, th there's no special motivations behind it other than, you know, uh, they're coming to work, trying to give their best every day, just like everybody else that goes to work, trying to give their best every day. And I think there's a lot of, um, a lot of police officers being vilified in the media and I think, uh, you know, policing becomes a politicized issue a lot of the times to support whoever's platform is talking about it, both sides. And uh, that's unfortunate um, because as somebody who spent 16 years doing it, I really did go to work with the honest intentions of making a positive difference for people and being a positive influence on my community. And I would say, by and large, the vast majority of police officers are that person as well. You know, we see the worst examples brought out in the media from when things don't go right. But for every incident you see where somebody was wrongfully killed or injured or something like that, there's tens of thousands of incidents where because the police got involved, nobody got hurt. And I think it's just really important for people to to keep that in mind. And uh, the other thing is having been a victim of it myself, or maybe I shouldn't say victim, but having been someone subjected to it myself, um, the media reports what will get attention. And, uh, and they do not necessarily wait for the full story before offering uh, the angle. And, and I saw that happen a lot. I was quoted and misquoted frequently uh, when I happened to be on a camera or in the news. And um, it's just, it's just unfortunate, but that is the way that it is. Yeah, I appreciate that perspective and I'm open to all perspectives. I think there's so many different ways to look at it. And I agree with you. I think in any profession, you know, there's good podcasters, there's bad podcasters, there's good, uh, you know, cashiers, there's bad cashiers and, and policing is no different. But I, I truly believe, you know, in the bottom of my heart that, you know, the case is what you said that, you know, even for the couple bad apples, there are still you know, hundreds, if not thousands of amazing, incredible men and women out there who are willing to lay their lives on the line to keep us safe every night in this country. So I appreciate everything you do, Adam. Coming on tonight, it was incredible. It was just a great conversation. Um, I want people to learn more about this policy. I want people to reach out to you. What are the best platforms to get a hold of you on, Adam? How can people reach yeah. out after the show? Yeah, the best way to reach me is on LinkedIn. And uh, love it when people send a connection request with a note, hey, heard you on Jesse's podcast. Um, uh, LinkedIn is, I'm on there every day. And I think that's how we connected too, Jesse. So 
Um, I'm Adam Doran on LinkedIn, last name's D-O-R-A-N, uh, shows me located in the Kansas City area with Prevail Strategies. So um, it sh should be the only Adam Doran in Kansas City. And, th and there's maybe a couple others out there, but um, uh, it's not hard to find me. Adam, thank you again for coming on today. I appreciate it. Again, the knowledge that you gave us today is incredible. I fully believe it's going to change someone's life. And like I said in the beginning, you know, that's our intent. If we help one person with this episode, you know, the last 45 minutes will all be worth it. So thank you again for everything you do, Adam. And I had a blast having you on. You bet, man. And I enjoyed it. Thank you for the invite. This was a good time. Hey, thanks again for listening to the Wealth Science Podcast. Take some time to subscribe and leave us a review. It really is the basis that helps us continue to bring on amazing guests each week. We have another incredible story to share next week, and I'm certain it's going to add value to this community. Please do not hesitate to reach out if there's anything I can do to help you in your journey of attaining financial freedom. Thank you again for listening, and we will see you next week.